Meditations with Ryan Slomak. Hello again, listeners. You've made it back. Or maybe you're here for the first time. Either way, I'm very honored to spend time with you today and welcome you to Meditations with Ryan Slomak. I don't think I need to say my name. It's kind of implied with the title of the show. But I will tell you one really important thing about myself, which is I have an unhealthy love of food, especially food that I discover that maybe has sort of a unique angle to it, or more importantly, is tied to places that I love or that I love visiting. When people come to see me from out of town, before we talk about what attractions are around or where we want to go for a walk or what entertainment's happening, the first thing that I do is I give them the lay of the land of the culinary empire that is where I live, which is Syracuse, New York. Today, we're going to have a very food-centric conversation with somebody who I just adore. Today, we're going to be talking with Dave Foreman. He's a food blogger and the TV host of the show Plate at Pittsburgh, which is featured on the very local app. Dave is an encyclopedia of knowledge, not only about the language of food and the way in which we talk about food, but also the, the mechanisms that are in place to help us figure out where we want to dine, who we want to dine with, what type of cultural experience you want. In this conversation, we're going to talk about his uh, sort of rise to becoming a recognized food blogger, food critic. We're going to talk about uh, the different types of dining experiences and how we interpret Michelin stars, James Beard Awards, uh, the diamond system for the, through AAA. But more importantly, this is a conversation about passion. This is a conversation all about the way in which it is important for us to take our passions and let them be known to the world because only then can they incubate into something magical. So with that said, let me introduce you to Dave Foreman. Dave, thank you for joining today. Thank you for having me. It's uh, I for listeners out there, uh, you know, I was running, I was running through my my Dave Foreman Rolodex in history, and uh, I think we've been we've been good friends since 2018. Uh, we discovered each other uh, through through chance at a pinball tournament in Yield. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the the home of Dave Foreman, um, and right off the bat, learned that we had a frightening amount of things in common. Yeah, um, it's great, and it's it's one of those things where uh, you know part of the reason I'm so excited to talk to you today, Dave, is because there's people that you connect with and they remain stagnant, and there's people that you connect with and then those connections kind of fall away, and then there's the Dave Foreman like connections where you you meet somebody you get to know them really close really quickly and then you get to see them evolve and uh i remember when we we first met in 2018 uh we had a conversation about goals mm-hmm. um and one of the goals that you specified was that you really wanted to uh step up your food blogging game you really mm-hmm. wanted to kind of become a food blogger and now here you are as uh the host of a food show courtesy of the popularity of your food blog which is pretty cool it's an amazing turn of events but again it feels almost as random as getting matched with you in that pinball tournament i mean i, I want to say like we both put in the work to end up at that exact point but there was some nice uh, choices of others that definitely resulted in that positivity Yes, thank you. I feel incredibly lucky. Uh, We would like to publicly thank the Pinberg algorithm for putting Mm -hmm. us together to play a game of Future Spa way back when. Uh, And for those of you who are not into pinball, that's where we're probably going to try to end our pinball references today. So you are you are very welcome. Um, So so, Dave, uh, you are uh, alternatively known as David the Gastronome, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you are somebody who has an inherent passion for food. Um, So for people who are unfamiliar with, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, your brand, can you tell us a little bit about David the Gastronome and its history? Sure, absolutely. So I've always been a a lover of just food and sharing meals. Um, Thanksgiving was always the biggest holiday of the year for the family, getting together, enjoying a meal. So we we put a lot of focus on meals and meal sharing. And when I met my wife, I would take her out to these new restaurants, these new experiences, things she's never been to or, or 
gone to and, and open up the whole world of culinary experiences with her and also my friends. They always ask me when they come into town, uh, where do I need to go? What's the new restaurant to check out? What's the new cuisine? What's the new trend? And so finding that love and finding that passion, I was able to channel it through a food blog. I was writing it kind of just for myself. And then I kind of started advertising it more and more. My wife came up with the name uh, David the Gastronome based on David the Gnome, uh, one of the old 80s, I think it was Dutch, weird Netherlands gnome cartoon. He wrote a fox and he nose kissed with his wife. But it's a very iconic gnome, David the Gnome. And, and so being able to have that pun, that's very me of the gastronome based on that uh, that character, that experience, and being able to build up the brand of the Instagram that I've got, the website that I haven't updated in like four years. <laughs> but that's where it's all that's where it all started. Uh, and that's how they where they found me. That's where very local reached out and, and said, would you be interested in hosting a live uh and, I'm sorry, would you be interested in ho <clears throat> sorry. They reached out to me and said, would you be interested in hosting a cooking show? And I said, absolutely, 100%. And so that's where it all worked out from there. And it's, it's been an amazing experience. That's awesome. So with with David the Gastronome, uh, I'm just picturing, you know, everybody at Nick Jr. being really stoked that that brand is living on. Um, you're you're. Your food blogging, and the thing that I just think is really interesting about it is that uh, you you live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is a you know it's a it's a it's a city. It's a it's a it's a large space. It's known for uh, you know the the headquarters for Mister Rogers. It's the my favorite, the birthplace of modern zombie culture. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it's known for their sports teams. For those into sports sports ball and sports puck, I hear there's some Penguins, some Pirates, some Steelers there. Mm -hmm. uh, but most people think of it as the Steel City. They think of it as this, like, you know, very blue collar, uh, you know, kind of industrial city. And they f they forget things like it's also the home of Heinz ketchup. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like yeah. an inherent food, uh, just, I don't know, food rumbling within the city. How has being like a, is it Pittsburghian? Is that, what's the? Pittsburgher, yeah. A Pittsburgher? Uh, yeah. With with lettuce and tomato, uh, how has yeah. being a Pittsburgher uh, sort of impacted you as a uh, as a food culturalist or as a food writer? Absolutely. So being born and raised here, I've seen the way that the food scene has changed here so much. We were definitely known for putting French fries on things. The Promani's sandwich is probably our most famous culinary uh, export, where it's just a sandwich with coleslaw and French fries on it. Uh, you know, it's been cooked with some kind of meat and cheese, and it's way too big, and it's way too unhealthy on white bread. So there's really not a lot of cultural significance or a lot of value in the sandwich like that. It, the, the trope around it was that it was created for the truckers who would come into our uh, shipping district. They would drop their loads off in the morning of fruits and vegetables, and they needed something on the road, so they could only drive with one hand and eat with one hand. So they just put everything together, uh, wrapped it all up in a sandwich, and then took that on the road. That is definitely our claim to fame, but I think that's more of just the entry into what Pittsburgh food is. It is a very strong Eastern European background, so you see a lot of Polish, Hungarian restaurants, things we just take for granted. Pierogies are huge here, uh, but we've also got a lot of red sauce Italian joints that you don't see outside of the Midwest, where it's just like the spaghetti and meatballs, the linguine with clam sauce. Uh, there's a lot of that just like not fresh bread basket on the on the uh on the plate there's a lot of really interesting very pittsburgh unique food movements but i'm also loving the cultural expansion now so we've got this great chinatown with all these amazing sichuan restaurants that are being recognized by the james beard awards every year we've got these incredible bakers that are coming in from new york stopping in their way between chicago and philadelphia or you know new york city in the south we're a really well positioned globally play uh, globally positioned place just to to be a hub for food and so i'm loving the new voices that are coming through in food that are changing the pittsburgh landscape but still keeping that heart of for the people by the people interesting so in the you know in the in the spirit of like that dining experience. I want to, I want to sort of separate these things a little bit. Like you're, uh, you know, you're a world traveler. Uh, you, you, 
you're heading to Germany soon. You, uh, you know, you've been to Japan. Um, you've been to a bunch of other countries that I can't think of right now. And, uh, you know, when most people go on excursions, they are, you know, saving saving their extra dollars for, you know, some sort of extreme sport or, uh, you know, like some sort of amusement park or or something that, you know, is is iconic, uh, you know, for the souvenir you're going to take home. Whereas when you're traveling, you're focused on, you know, which Michelin star restaurant are we going to completely, you know, spend the last few months of (laughs) of our paychecks on. One of the countries visited uh, a couple of years ago, we went to Italy, uh, going to Florence, Venice, uh, the, the approaches to food there, a lot of them, they build their communities around food fishermen, uh, build these communities around the water where the sources are farmers, build their dishes and, and build what's available. So you'll have more meat cows uh, than dairy cows. So you see that reflected in the meals and their, you know, the certain uh, the dishes they offer. So I loved exploring what's the history of the food in this area? What's the, the what are the cultural meals? What are the things they've made their whole lives? Like one of the things that was fascinating to me um, going to Florence, a lot of people talk about the Florentine steak. That's more of a modern concept. Whereas the original like Florence dish, what they were known for was this beef tripe stomach sandwich. And that came from, it's just like pickled and vinegared and it has to be, what could they make do with? Because they were so far inland. They were so far from the coast. Um, they didn't have access to fresh farmland. So they had very few cows, but they had access to organ meats. So in these butcher shops, these these like uh, slaughterhouses around what was left over for them to eat was this tripe stomach. And so the, while that's been kind of tipped on its head where Pittsburgh wants to be the steak and lobster when we're more of the French fry capital, Florence wants to be more of the steak, uh, Florentine steak and the higher end cuts of meat rather than, no, we're the awful, you know, O-F-F-A-L, we're the organ meat capital of Italy. And it's just so fascinating to me exploring that, finding that history finding that restaurant's been around from the 1800s serving the recipes the same way that someone's grandmother or great-grandmother went and ate uh that's really how you get to know the people where they came from who they are through their food and i love exploring that when we went to paris going to these fine dining michelin star restaurants like the finest restaurants in the world but also going to their red market which is just a farmer's market and there's a guy and he's got his meats and his cheeses that he brings that he, he gets himself and he makes sandwiches and so you know, cafe meow meow i still remember just as much as you know Jean Rubichon and just like uh, these very high-end restaurants so they take such an art and a passion in their food i think that's everywhere from the smallest island nation to the largest you know metropolis that you get to know the people and you get to have a reflection of the people through their food their history of where they came from and their future of where they're going that's amazing. And what about in what about in Pittsburgh? How did you get to the point where you were you were able to really start to discover like the offerings that were there um, and what really kind of like blew the lid off of this whole, uh, you know, just food cultural experience for you locally? So growing up, it was definitely easier just to go to the strip malls, to go to the larger areas. There was like, well, what chain restaurants do we have? What are the, where are the Red Lobsters? Where are the Applebee's? Where are the Olive Gardens? And then what you start to see is outside of those neighborhoods, when I was, we started traveling more outside of the commercial districts, that in the middle of those would be like Joe's Pizza Shop. And they'd be like, okay, well, how's Joe do pizza? Well, how does you know Mario do pizza? How does Minio do pizza? And then so Pittsburgh pizza was a great inroad to like we asking some asking a Pittsburgher what their favorite pizza in Pittsburgh is like asking a mother to name their favorite child. It's just there's so many different types and kinds and approaches. I think Pittsburgh pizza is an incredible just beautiful melting pot of pizzas from all over the world. And we also have our own styles too, where it's just like, you know, you've got uh, Beaver Valley pizza where it's just raw with uh, raw toppings on top of hot pizza, where you've got square cut uh, party trays that are cooked just barely. And then the toppings are added raw, Uh, just really fascinating giant pies covered in cheese and meatballs and, you know, wild, these wild approaches. But that was definitely my like uh, gateway into who else does something differently than I may have tried originally. So where I'm familiar with Italian food, 
trying a Hungarian restaurant, trying a Polish restaurant, trying an Uzbeki restaurant. We would have, uh, there was a Romanian pop-up that would come in and a guy would, you know, set up every year and just offer, you know, his, his own cooking. He brought in people from outside. There was a Hungarian uh, gentleman who had his own kitchen where he had exchange students that he would bring in every year and they would cook from uh, Hungary and they would also only speak Hungarian but he's speaking English feeding you his food as well as offering a learning and training experience for these kids and that kind of inroad where it's just like oh what other what other offerings are there what other options are there and now I think we've got some of the best Sichuan Chinese restaurants I think I've ever been to and I, I try them all over the world and I, I some of them don't compare but some of them exceed uh, what we're doing here in Pittsburgh. I love the fact that very rarely can I talk with someone who says, we've got the best blank food. You can tell the the, the ring, real ingredients made with heart, made with love from these chefs. That you know, These restaurants, they don't always look like uh, fancy places. Sometimes there's just holes in the walls, but it comes out on the dish and it, you, you can taste that, that love. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Well, I love that you just said the word love because it's actually something that I had on my my agenda, which is, um, you know, I, I I listened to this interview, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, and uh, they were talking about the missing ingredient in food and the idea that the, the missing ingredient, um, that the thing that prevents us from truly feeling nourished in the majority of the food that we eat is love. And that if you, you know, you know that when you have a meal that has been lovingly and caringly and empathetically uh, put together by somebody, whether it's, you know, a romantic partner or your family or uh, friends who you haven't seen in a long time, um, it it holds a totally different place in your soul than food does when you're just, you know, getting something uh, to eat. Like me personally, the uh, if you evaluate the uh, the flow chart of my eating, um, the amount of uh, unloved cliff bars that are, you know, that are, that are in my soul are, are crazy. It's amazing that I still have friends after all that. But I'm curious about for you, like how this is super amorphous, but I'm, I'm when you're evaluating something and you're 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 eating food and you're thinking about writing about it um, and you're thinking about communicating that experience to somebody there's there's a level of pressure about the way in which you evaluate that environment and then you're also thinking about the love that it's prepared with and i'm curious about like how love plays a role in you as a uh you know a food connoisseur mm, i think that's so vital both from the consumer and the creator's standpoint I'll, i can only talk personally from my consumer standpoint where knowing as the eater the, the receiver of the art that when you get that dish, that special dish, there's something about exploring a menu and seeing, ah, oh, yes, this is the one. This is the one that they make for them. There's a lot of dishes you can see on menus that, oh, well, I got to make this for the public. I got to have uh, a turkey sandwich. I got to offer a lasagna. I got to offer ravioli. But when you get that specific special item on the menu, oh, this is interesting. This is different. Why would they offer this? What's unique about this? Ah, this is from their homeland. This is for a cultural dish. This is a personal dish ordering that tasting that difference in that dish uh a big recommend easy recommendation that i can make is the special the special of the day usually the chef is given like opportunity to create something from scratch that wouldn't appear any other night and so it's one night only with those ingredients maybe they picked that day at a farmer's market or maybe they sourced locally they were able to get that you will get to experience and share that experience with them. So finding that universality in the language of food, it, it's 100% a universal language. We cannot speak the, the same spoken language, but I can understand you through your food and I can understand your passion and your love and your skill and the quality that you bring, that you presented to. Because obviously we eat visually as well. And then finding what I'm describing that food in the written medium, which is almost like, it, it feels impossible to do to, to describe this flowing, beautiful, lyrical, symphony of tastes uh, on just paper but finding that that foundation how does it remind you how does it make you feel comforted how does it make you your taste buds react uh, how do you find those strong notes uh, what would stand out for everyone what do you find that's obvious and also what do you find that are maybe the little hidden notes around the, the corner the little criticism or insight you might be able to offer uh versus a fresh tomato versus a roasted tomato 
calling out those differences. I love being able to do that, but also describe as best as I can something that has shown me love and shown me care that I can now share with the world. Have you, oh man, I have so many questions I want to ask. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you gave me a perfect segue and I'm going to ignore it for like a moment. Um, but I'm curious, like, I don't know, maybe this is getting a little too into the weeds, but like, have you had a meal that you feel changed you afterward? Oh, I, absolutely. No question. The, the three star Michelin restaurant meals, it's an experience. It's like going to a museum and being shown art that only you see that is painted only for you to consume. And once you've done that, it is gone forever. Um, the other people can see and make copies of the Mona Lisa, but this is your Mona Lisa that you get to consume 100% made just for you by an artist and being served to you at the, the highest end of service and care and you're in an experience that i just i don't think could be replicated ever even if you go to the restaurant the next night uh and so you become ultimately changed and then being able to go to a food stall just uh, somebody slinging out a thousand of the same dish or this I, I remember this herring sandwich that i had in amsterdam it was just a snack on like a tuesday afternoon we're on vacation and i just i wanted to get some pickled herring with some pickled onion and it was just so transformative. And I remember the way the sun reflected off the water that day as I ate this salty, sweet snack. And it's like, yeah, that's something that I will carry with me forever. That will be immutably changed through the, the gift of just a stall owner, a food stall guy who's like, yeah, I make a thousand of these sandwiches a day. But for me, that special one was made just for me. I got to consume and enjoy and experience and remember. And now I get to tell the story of that sandwich that can never be repeated. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm going to uh, continue to disregard your segue for one more follow up question, um, which is, uh, you know, one thing that I want to be really mindful of is that um, food has a, a food, food, especially in our culture, has a socioeconomic um, has a has a series of problems when it comes to to personal finance and uh, you know people's ability to get access to food. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, watching uh, what was it? I think I watched the date night uh, delight episode of uh, of played at Pittsburgh, which we'll come to later. Um, but both players were uh, both competitors were were uh, playing to hopefully donate money to a charity, which was. Uh, focused on uh, reusing food f that restaurants would normally throw away to be able to to provide meals to uh, to people in Pittsburgh. But I want to I want to I want to acknowledge that I want to I want to just state that like as you know Dave and I are are two middle class bros from you know towns that are inspired by the Midwest who uh, you know live moderate lives so that we can afford to go out to eat and not everybody has that privilege um but i want to try to i want to try to reshape um the way in which we typically frame what a michelin star restaurant is because i think that in you know it, at least in my purview uh, and i don't necessarily think i'm alone in this there's a series of restaurants that in you know i just sit there and i think well oh, okay cool that's a michelin star restaurant i'll never be able to afford that or um you know oh james beard award cool like that reservation is going to take six months to get and i'm not sure i'll be able to ever have that but you have enlightened me to the idea that um, these awards and these accolades should not be viewed as an elitist designation, um, that a Michelin star does not always mean that it's a restaurant where it's going to be $500 a plate. Sometimes it means something very different. So would you be kind enough to uh, kind of explain to our listeners how, how like, how the Michelin star works. I think that would probably be a really good place to start and uh, to kind of talk about what that experience is. Cause it's not fiscal. It's something very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the origins are actually uh, from the tire company. A lot of people make that joke. A tire guy is going to tell me where to go eat, where it's was, was it worth the wear and tear you would put on your tires? So Michelin would have a, a rating star and now they, it's obviously transformed and been changed from one to three stars, but they also have a, a bib gourmand section. They've got a whole wonderful recommended section and it's a range of prices from there's a food stall a hawker stall i believe um I, I don't know where i think specifically thailand where it's just like five dollar noodles but they're michelin rated and so i, I want to say it's either one or two stars it's consistency of service it's consistency of quality consistency of 
delivery. It's offering a unique experience in your dining experience that you may not be able to reproduce anywhere else. Now, don't get me wrong. When you say a three-star Michelin restaurant, you usually are talking a higher-end place. You're talking about a place that's you're going to spend more money. But anything on their lists can just range from an incredible bakery that's serving the best baguettes in the world that are 250, or you know the, the, these very high-end restaurants. So in the Michelin recommendations, I definitely say you can look at their website. You can use their their guide for free to explore, and they've got their all. Everything's very transparent there. Here are all the prices. Here are all the the approaches here's the the way you feel of comfortable ambience or not but um just like with james beard uh they they want to to identify and they want to focus on the best of the best and whether that's a you know some uh, just old man who lives you know in the the edge of the woods who gets his own mushrooms and makes the most amazing mushroom omelet you've ever had in your life and charges a dollar fifty for it every day or a chef who's got a team of 800 working under him and he's got all these accolades and awards it's a, that beautiful variety that where it's up to you you can choose and you're going to have an incredible dining experience wherever you go within that michelin list within that james beard list or even just you know a personal recommendation from from folks i don't ever want a restaurant to be out of reach or to be inaccessible i never want to describe a food experience that only i can have i will never write up an influencer event where i'm like i was invited to this restaurant and the chef cooked for me and you can't get this it's like no i'm going to go there when they're open and i'm going to go there you know in public and and ex experience it as anyone coming off the street could experience it because that's how the what I want to describe is the universality of the experience rather than the, you know, because I paid this much money for this meal, then I'm able to enjoy these things. I never want it to be that. Well, and I think that's really just important, that accessibility idea, because I think, you know, oftentimes we either disregard food as a, um, it's just a thing I got to do. That's the, uh, Ryan's Lummock needs to meditate on anything. It's that. Um, but on the flip side too, I mean, there's a networking component to it that is really nourishing and, uh, you know, empowering, uh, and community building. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's ways in which we can use food, uh, and food dialogue to help, uh, you know, promote, promote things that are, are important to us, um, by getting people to put to to step into restaurants and to interact with those that they might not have otherwise um and it's a it's a slippery slope uh to to ensure that you you do it uh cautiously and in a way that's fair to all, everybody involved most importantly the people making this food with love you know um go, going back uh a little bit but i think we just touched on a little bit is i uh i want to talk kind of about how people discover um, new, important culinary uh, landscapes that are happening in their own communities. And I love the fact that you you reference the idea that like go in and have the special of the day. One of the things that I have been trying to to get in the habit of is every time I go to a restaurant, um, whether or not it's a restaurant where I look at the menu and due to my own dietary requirements, there's literally one option and that's fine and I'll eat it and life is great. Um, but I always want to hear the narrative of the restaurant and I want to get the perspective of the people there because for two reasons, one, because they have the insight. I mean, they're, the people who are who are working in this environment every day are going to know, you know, hey, everybody orders uh you know the burger but in reality the shrimp which we only sell you know 10 percent of daily is by far the greatest thing on the menu um but also because i i worry that we're in a time where uh people working in the service industry um are being viewed as mechanisms and i think it's it's important that we pull that out so uh, i'm curious about for you like how how do you encourage others to discover the landscapes that are happening in their communities. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're you're currently located in Barnaul, Russia, or you're currently located in uh, you know, Sacramento, California, or you're located in Yield, Syracuse, New York, uh, how do people discover these things uh, in a manner that is uh, meaningful? So I can only speak from an outside perspective, um, but whenever I visit a new city that I know nothing about, I'll look into their free weekend papers. Maybe they've got a periodical, maybe they've got a monthly uh, 
kind of community gazettes, things that go out, and they almost all have best new restaurants where they've got uh, this place is opening or this place is closing. I look at what's legendary in the areas. I look at the places that everyone's talking about on their uh, best of lists. And if there's no best of lists, I look on Yelp. And if there's no Yelp, I look on Google. And if and wherever Google is, then it's just like restaurants like this, restaurants that are similar to this, then you can start to find the trends. Then you can start to find the real reality of what is the food scene in this specific area that I'm at? How can I define this through its people, through its offerings, through its cuisine? You know, where are the, the Chinatowns? Where is the little Tokyo? Where is the, the, the Mexican uh, section? Where can I find the Latinx food? That's where you start to explore more the, the deeper you dive into. Yes, everyone could say, oh, this is the best pizza place. Why is it the best pizza place? And what's in that area that says this is why people go to this area for pizza? So exploring the landscape, exploring not only the socioeconomical areas, but also the cultural areas. How are the how is the city divided? How is it set up? Where is it overlap? Where is it share? And you could find those restaurants, those little pockets in each every neighborhood I've ever been to. Where it's just like, no, you go here for the best sushi, but then you go over here for the best bread because this is with the the baker, this is the baker district, uh, and then finding that out. That I love exploring that and finding that. Out. But you definitely have to do the research on your own um, through community conversations. And then what I do is when I go to restaurants, I'm saying, you know, I'm torn. I've read up, I've done the research, I've you know looked up online, but I'm torn between these two things. Maybe they're not very similar, but talking to the people. Seeing the people that live there, seeing what, what, how, what would you get? Uh, I love asking that. I love getting that that reflection of, oh, well, I've worked here for this many years, and this is my favorite dish. Or uh, this, you know, why you may not have said this dish, you can't miss this dish while you're here. And experiencing that is is so unique. When it's interesting in a in a world where we, I'm, I, this is not a critique, Dave. So please uh, oh, take sure. it with a grain of salt. But uh, we're in a world now where the idea of exploring often means that we're we're looking at a digital screen of some kind. And I think on the flip side, one of the things that you're kind of alluding to is that um, you know when you're discovering a new uh, a new region. Whether it's in your own town or not, like, you know, um, you know, if I go to the north side here, like there's a, a bunch of Italian restaurants I've never tried before. Um, I know that's where a good place to try a new Italian restaurant is, you know, um, that doesn't necessarily mean I've done it. And I think that um, getting, you know, g- using your device as a chance to get to a certain part of a city, a certain part of a certain region, and then letting serendipity or whatever you want to call it be something that helps you find that food um i was in uh nashville a few months ago and discovered kind of rediscovered east nashville which is kind of the the you know like the hipster hipster region of uh of nashville and it's amazing um and i went to uh, a place called i dream of weenie which was like a uh a hot dog stand that was from like a converted vw bus that i had been to before and courtesy of conversations there they were suggesting hey go check out this other place and we're walking around and all of a sudden discover a vegan biscuit place called gorilla biscuits that has uh what did i eat i ate a um jalapeno cranberry vegan biscuit right and it was really good but the thing that i thought was more important than me just giving a bunch of shout outs is that i you know i'm convinced that that meal held so much more significance to me because i let myself explore and Mm -hmm. i let myself just find it and i think that um there's a lot of value in removing ourselves from the the typical conventions of um, oh, cool. That has the best Yelp review to mm. interesting. There's a bunch of restaurants that all have really good Yelp reviews in this area. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take an Uber there and I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to hear what people are saying and I'm going to see where the lines are and I'm going to determine which bar I want to hang out at or, you know, which place maybe I just want to get an appetizer at and kind mm-hmm. of make the decisions from there. I think despite the fact that we're at a point in culture where we have everything open to us spontaneity is kind of losing itself a little bit in the way in which we consume food. 
There's definitely, yeah, I, I love that alternative ways of travel. Um, I think for me, it's taking it back to the guidebook, back to the days of the travel book, where you would have this thing that was printed three or four or five years ago, or maybe even longer ago, where the experience that you're going to have is not necessarily what was written down in the pages of that book, but at least you have a foundation. Just like you said, you're doing that research, you're finding that out. I love the digital dynamic of like just how dy literally dynamic it is, where it's just every day this restaurant is changing and this scene is changing, but you can keep up with it remotely through the digital uh, medium, but you have to go out there to see it with your own eyes. Uh, a, a great, uh, I don't know if it's as much of an anecdote, but uh, I went to Baltimore, I went to the Fadley's. Um, it's a very old, not very old, from the 70s. Um, it was like the number one place to go get crab cakes, but now it has fallen quite into disrepair, uh, very bad neighborhood, very high crime area. A lot of the places are boarded up. I took an Uber out there. I got the crab cake and it was not what I had read in the guidebooks and what I had experienced in the reviews because those reviews were from 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But it was an experience that I was able to have, like you said, just by going out and doing and seeing that I can now share explore and not all uh, not all surprises are are good but not all surprises are bad either there's a lot of learning that can be done through the the act of going out and being spontaneous i love um, it we're just we're just two spontaneous just really exciting people dave that's that's true how we rock I, um, I honestly i plan everything out to a t i'm like let me see that restaurant let me see that menu let me see what you know what what are their hours i'm making the reservations i'm arriving at 7 15 i'm ordering this dish uh, and, I, and then hoping that it works out, that I've done my research well enough. Well, and there's also something to be said about, you know, you compared to a traditional diner, uh, you need to make sure that you have that reservation four months in advance, six mm -hmm. months in advance, whatever it is in order to get into whatever, you know, there's a restaurant called Dirt Candy that I really want to go to in New York. And I, every time I'm there, I'm like, oh, I'll go to New York in three months. And it's, you know, it's packed. I can't get a reservation. Oh, um, book it but now and that, you go. Yeah. I know. I'll book it for my birthday uh, in the summer. Um, Isn't that the wife of uh, Grady Hendrix? It is, in fact, the right. wife of Grady Hendrix. Yeah. I, I was debating whether or not I should bring that up as an example, but I, I thought, about it. yeah, yeah, I, I really interesting uh, for those who are unaware. So Grady Hendrix is a, a horror writer. Actually, his new book uh, at the time of this recording just came out, How to Sell a Haunted House. Um, and his wife is a now a Michelin star chef uh, owning a Michelin star restaurant. And um, it's called Dirt Candy. It's a vegetarian, vegan friendly uh, restaurant uh, where courses are are set months in advance. You have a you know, you 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 order your you, you order your one option, um, but it's it's produced at the highest quality and they've they've been a restaurant for a long time. Is it 15 years or so, something yeah. like that. Um, and just received a Michelin star. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, if you're interested in reading about it, I strongly encourage, uh, Googling the, the interview. Um, so dirt candy, uh, Michelin star, you should be able to find this article, but, uh, the entire article is about her perception. Uh, and I feel really bad. I can't think of what her name is right now, but her perception that, uh, the Michelin, the, the Michelin star organization is changing and yeah. that that is why that they've always been Michelin star quality, but the idea of vegan and vegetarian restaurants has never really been included. And now they're being welcomed into it. I love that new inclusiveness of, you know, just like I had said that the Asian restaurant that it's got a Michelin star, that's brand new. I mean, that's within the past couple of years. They were always the height, the height of, of expense. And it was always the more you spent, the higher you'd be. But now the, the whole world of criticism is changing. Uh, food accessibility, food availability. I think that's the, the name of the game now. They realize that they have to offer uh, food options to everyone from every spectrum of life. It's awesome. And it's all I also think there's something, you know, it's always a, a blessing and a curse when something sort of takes the main stage. But just okay. seeing seeing presentation of, of food and the way in which it's permeating our culture uh, in in a manner where even if you're not going to these restaurants, we now have media that is getting us accessible to the procedures of these restaurants. So you can bring those procedures into your own home and either emulate them or or train yourself on something. I just love the fact that the idea that in order to uh, in order to create, for lack of a better term, high-end food, you no longer have to go to the Culinary Institute of America. You can watch the stuff on YouTube and you can make it at home yeah. and uh, you can blog about it and you can send it to David the Gastronome. Uh, <laughs> but we're at a point 
where food culture, uh, especially higher end food culture, maybe the price points aren't changing, but at least the accessibility and the windows are opening. And I think that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. I think you can absolutely have the same dining experience at the, the lowest price point at someone's house in a private experience as you would in a, a huge operation that costs millions is covered in crystals. I'm going to go I'm going to go eat some uh, some powdered gold uh, just for fun. You know, so that's what those things versus like, yeah, like I hate those gimmicks. I hate the TikTok uh, gimmicks where it's just like covered in gold and it'll be better. And it's like, no, that adds no flavor and it's worthless and it's just excess for access. Same with a lot of these caviars, and a lot of these just like ridiculous uh, additions to all these truffles. It's like such a waste. Like none of this will actually taste good. Nothing. None of the, it looks good. Uh, I think the easily most accessible uh, example of that is those milkshakes that are huge. They're everywhere. It's like how the hell do you eat that? You can't. It's covered in cake. It's covered in sauce. The cup itself is covered. You can't even pick it up. It's like I I don't want that. It's not a dining experience that I want. It's a vi- purely visual dining experience, which I definitely want to get away from. Um, you have to be able to enjoy the food. You have to be able to eat it. I love it. So I uh, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, so listeners at home, as I you know, maybe it's not clear, but like Dave and I are besties, and uh, you know, one of the things that we both have in common that we discovered very early on in our relationship is that we both have an unhealthy passion for film. Um, we both have degrees in cinema that uh, we only sort of use, and. Um, more recently, uh, you know, I'm I'm teaching, uh, edu- you know, I'm in education and I, I teach students about media production on the regular and Dave has made his way into the TV industry, which is really exciting. So, um, you know, as I described in my intro, Dave is the host of Played at Pittsburgh, uh, which is uh, a TV show you can watch on the very local app. Um, and there are a few episodes on YouTube if you for some reason don't have access to a device that can get very local. Um, my favorite thing is he introduces himself every episode with Dave. I'm food blogger and Pittsburgh native Dave Foreman. Um, he uh, is joined on that show with judges Emily Catalano and uh, Claudia Pierre. Uh, and it's a really cool show um, where uh, local local chefs are highlighted. They come from a variety of different places. Some of them are, uh, you know, personal chefs for, for in people's homes. Some of them own restaurants. A lot of them are entrepreneurs, which I get really excited about. Um, and they're all competing for fun and for charity. Uh, and I just, I think it's really cool. Uh, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about how that project got off the ground? Yeah. So, um, very local is owned by Hearst, uh, big communications hub uh they've got hubs all over one of their major hubs is in pittsburgh and they wanted to create kind of a national cable access which we don't really see as much anymore you want that taste of home you want that insight into what is the community talking about what are they about what are their people focused on and so that's where very local came uh the concepts of very local came from and cooking food. I mean, like I said, the universal language. So we've got played at Pittsburgh. They're on our second season. We've got uh, over 13 episodes now. They're available to stream. And each episode, we've got these local chefs go to a local market, picking up local food, which I absolutely love cooking it fresh an appetizer and entree and a dessert in just 45 minutes. And they get money towards a local charity, like you said, to support keeping it all local, keeping it all focused, but you can be a Pittsburgh expat. You can be somebody who's never even been to Pittsburgh and you can watch an episode of that show and get a feeling of what our community is like, what our people is like, what our people are like, what kind of offerings we have. And so I love that insight. And that's what I loved about Very Local is that I can go on, I can see shows from Baltimore, Sacramento, uh, from the Midwest, from New Orleans, and I can get a feeling of of visiting those areas and being in those areas without actually having to make the trip down. And so being able to have that access and that platform, I'm so thankful for and I love it so much. It's great. And I, you know, you're just such a, you're such a natural food host. Uh, and, you know, one thing that uh, listeners may not know about the infamous Dave Foreman is that he's also a, uh, a long form improv uh, performer, uh, an actor and writer. Um, and uh, has, you know, has this sort of, despite being very, uh, I don't know, you you, you kind of, you're not quite a wallflower, but you don't mind mm-hmm. kind of like feeding into the background. Oh, you just have this natural performative edge. Um, and some of your quips just uh, bring me joy in that show. You'll just get these random moments where you can tell the producers like, "That's gold. I gotta, I gotta add that in." 
No, so, those moments make me the happiest when they because like, we shoot we shoot these twelve hour days from eight a.m. to eight p.m. So then finally seeing the finished product, um, I have memories obviously from shooting all day, but then to see it laid out in the twenty two minute episode, it's really both humbling and also really makes me feel really good about myself. I'm like, man, that shot just turned out perfectly, and that that was me in that comment or that way I reacted or that comment that I made about food. Like that was that was a moment I'm so glad they captured and were able to to present on this on the show. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that, you know, in a in a culture of food media where so much of it is focused on glut, so much of it is focused on, uh, you know, unsustainable travel methods, you know, like how much how many of these shows are like, I'm a celebrity who's got too much time on my hands. So I'm going to travel to all these countries, spend all this money and, you know, people can film me being me. Uh, yours, your show is not focused on that at all. And like as the host and as as somebody who's deeply involved in this, like I really appreciate the culture culture that you build um because it's it's friendly competition and everybody is really trying to to do their best i think it's the one of the few american cooking shows that has like a beautiful little hint of the great british bake show where you know like uh the episode i'm watching last night uh one guy buys truffle oil and the other uh the other chef forgets an oil and he's like hey man can i borrow your truffle oil and maybe a lemon please and he's like dude please and they're handing ingredients to each other they're sharing fryers i just think it's it's a really beautiful portrait of uh a the culture you create and also just that culture of pittsburgh like whenever i watch that show i really feel like i'm getting to the heart of humanity into a town that i have not had enough time to really involve myself with I agree 100%. The people come through so strongly. Not only are these chefs going to public markets that you can go to if you visit on a specific Saturday, not only are they competing um, not against each other, but for these personal charities that are locally benefiting from their skill, but they're raised by these areas. They come from these areas. They know the food that's offered in the area so they can offer their own personal touch and spin on it. You see these people come through and they're just so kind and generous and giving and they build a network through our show. I love the off-camera moments of these chefs talking to the judges or talking to the production or talking with me and or with each other about like what's your experience been like? How can we make each other more successful? And seeing those relationships grow outside of the show has just been so valuable and, and so rewarding to me. It's great. And it's a show that I think um, it, it doesn't have a problem highlighting uh, growth with failure, um, you know, which I think is really important that a lot of the, you know, the amount of times that you watch, you watch a chef prepare this thing and then, uh, you know, somebody drops something and then they have to put it back together and everybody's like, coming together and saying, no, no, man, this is just part of the process. Like, it's okay. There's uh, the inherent perfectionism uh, that we kind of think of when it comes to what we expect from higher end dining or something like that is not there, uh, which I think is neat. Uh, the other thing I want to comment on um, is that, you know, other like feeling like I'm in the heart of Pittsburgh, like when I think about Pittsburgh food, um, you know, having known you for a number of years and having, uh, you know, eaten in Pittsburgh and uh, associated with other people in Pittsburgh and watched this show, my perception of Pittsburgh food is that like it is the comfort food capital of the world. Like, do you like salad? Awesome. You know, it would make a salad more comfortable making sure that we put French fries on top of it. Mm. And that is that's that's Pittsburgh food. Uh, one of the things that I was noticing yesterday was that I've never seen a cooking show where so many people put bread on a grill. Mm. Yeah, we do love the bruschetta. That's a big thing in Pittsburgh. You got carbs. We're going to feature it somewhere. We're going to add pasta. We're going to put dumplings on top of rice noodles. We're going to put, you know, uh, ravioli on top of pasta. We're going to put French fries on top of a salad. We we love that that comfort food, like you said. But that means so much, so many different things to so many different people. But it evokes a feeling, which I love about food, and that's the universality. That's the universal language of food is that finding that feeling, evoking it, and and really sharing the moment with someone that you've never met before. Uh, it's so great. As a one thing I'm curious about uh, is just that, you know, um, all of a sudden transitioning from being David the Gastronome and doing your Instagram account and and food blogging to all of a sudden becoming a, you know, a food host, uh, you know, for a, a, a very large organization with very significant reach. Um, you're doing publicity for it. You're, you know, uh, spoiler alert, this is not Dave Foreman's first podcast interview. Um, 
I'm curious about how you see the Dave Foreman brand, and I'm totally going to just put you on the spot on this, but how do you see the Dave Foreman brand changing um, courtesy of these types of opportunities? And where do you want to take it? Where do you want Dave Foreman or Dave the Gastronome to to evolve into? Oh, that's a great question. I love that. Um, definitely, I just want it to be me. I, I feel like the same way when I go on job interviews or when I was going on dates before I met my wife. Like, I, I'm just bringing me to it. You know, I'm bringing my personality, my style, my approach. I really don't want to change who I feel like I am at the core. I really don't want to change that humor, that smile. Um, I don't want to change my approach to things. So that's what I offer. And it's more, I don't want to say take it or leave it, but I really want to be as generous as I can with my space and with folks and with their space. And if there's no space for me in your, in your area, your environment, then I understand and I applaud you and I support your creative endeavors. But if you need someone like me, man, do I have somebody great to offer you? It's me. I love it. Um, well, so just before I forget to put the plug in, uh, for anybody who has not had a chance to uh, to check out uh, the very local app and played at Pittsburgh, I strongly encourage you to uh, to look it up. Uh, if you really, if you want to take a like step back to season one, uh, you can look up played at Pittsburgh on YouTube. There's one episode that's on there, I believe, and uh, it is uh, with uh, Chef Claudie Pierre, who was such a re- remarkable contestant that he ended up becoming a judge uh, on season two, which is pretty cool. And I love that I never would have met him. I never would have had this experience other than the show. But he's someone that I will follow for the rest of my life. I will see wherever he's cooking. Anything he's involved in, his EAT initiative is absolutely amazing. What the community work that he does uh, for the kids in the the communities, helping teach them life skills and helping them get set up for jobs outside of high school. Like, it's just so incredible to me, the, the, the work and love he's giving back into the, the neighborhood, into the area. I just, I, I love everything Chef Claudia does. And he's so infectious in, in his personality. So you want to be excited with him and pe- meeting people like that. That's the best part of the show. Truly. On the date night episode, he has a really good moment where they're talking about cooking with garlic. And he's like, yo, yo, yo hold on. He's like, the episode is called date night, not first kiss. We can- <laughs> <laughs> That's, cool. think, uh, that's so good. Um, so uh, just, uh, I, I guess just a couple of wrap ups from me. Uh, and this is something that on this show, I think is really important because this is not a show about me, despite the fact that my name is on it and I'm taking up way too much airspace. Um, but I want to make sure that we have a chance to meditate on ideas that um, maybe we haven't covered yet. And I'm curious, like, are there any sort of topics related to food or Pittsburgh or culture building that um, you don't feel that we've tackled yet that you'd like to throw in there? One thing that I love that's come as a result of this show is I'm not looking for a Food Network show. I'm not looking for you know, anything bigger. What I love is that folks have reached out from the community. They've said to me, like, hey, I saw you on Plate of Pittsburgh. Would you be interested in coming to speak to this class? Would you be interested in, in you know, doing a panel and talking to this group? And that is truly success for me, that I can influence, that I can talk, that I can share my story. Because I just feel like I just got lucky through all this. You know, all the hard work that I've done, it, it pales in comparison into the the successes that I'm seeing now. So be able to share the story, share food, share the Pittsburgh insight, also share like a a community insight. Like how how do I see my community? How do I see my area and my world? And uh, maybe I can inspire a, a voice of tomorrow, a future of tomorrow. That is true success, being offered those opportunities that I didn't have before. I, I am just so incredibly lucky. I love that. I love being able to talk and help people out. And I want people to thrive and succeed. And I want them to to outshine me as well. I want Pittsburgh to be known for other cooking shows that are greater and better and offer more insight, things that I would never even know about, uh, offering insights from backgrounds I've never had. Uh, that's what I want my voice to be able to do, to empower others. That's my dream. And I think you've done a great a great job of it, Dave. And uh, I don't mean to just put my teacher hat on this, but I think you'll you'll agree with me um, that if you are passionate about anything, and I don't care what it is, if you're really excited about coloring books, uh, if you uh, just want to engineer things out of spaghetti sticks, um, if you want to, you know, sing every Disney princess theme song as though you're a frog, like go do it. Find a uh, if as long as it comes from a, pl- a place of of pure passion. If it comes from a place of ego, it will never be successful. But if it comes from a place of pure passion, and you're willing to find a venue to put it out there, 
in my experience, in your experience, in most people I know, um, people will gravitate toward that energy because we all know that there's so much negative energy in the world and there's so many people that don't have any interest in contributing to culture that uh, there, you have a magnetic effect when you're putting something out there that you love. And even if people don't know what it is, they will gravitate to it. I think you are the pinnacle of that. And I really do sincerely feel like we're just seeing the beginning of this growth pattern. Uh, And I'm really excited. I really appreciate that. It means so much to me. I I, I can't stress that enough, that that finding out what you're passionate about makes me, just I mean, speaking in the general you to anyone, makes me excited and i want just like you said i want to know everyone's passion i want to see everyone out there thriving and being their most genuine self that's that's a dream that that would be incredible so dave do you know what just happened what just happened we just time traveled wow i didn't feel feel like any time at all i know do you feel I'm, i'm i have like kind of like light pins and needles on me mm. oh yeah, yeah yeah like your foot's falling asleep like your fingers yeah i got that a little it, bit it, like a metallic taste in my mouth yeah it's strange i think yeah. like our facial hair changed slightly a little bit yeah um, and the lighting the sun has moved oh the sun has moved um so when we recorded the uh interview that our dear listeners have just been listening to that was in january and here we are eight months later uh, doing a follow-up, but I just, I first off want to say thank you for being willing to be my test case for my first ever podcast interview. Always. I and, love uh, it. I love being a part of every creative endeavor that you have. I will support wholeheartedly, foolishly, and blindly because I believe in you that much. Uh, and I believe in you too, Dave. Oh, thank you. Um, so I wanted to just uh, give take a moment to update people on what's now happening. We're recording this in uh, August of uh, 2023. Um, what uh, what excitement have you been up to as we uh, as we've talked about it a little? Uh, your you've been doing some fundra- doing some fundraiser work, which is really cool. You're working with Crisis Center North, and then uh, you did this really cool project for the Focus on Renewal program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was an awesome opportunity. So this local uh, kind of an after school program, they do skill building, they do career building, career skills. They're called Focus on Renewal. They're based in McKees Rocks, which is a very underrepresented neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And they reached out to me and asked would I be interested in coming to talk to some culinary students. So I showed up. It was a really wonderful little class, maybe about eight kids, all between the ages of uh, 12, 13, 18, 19. And they teach them culinary skills, knife skills, uh, how to work in a kitchen, safe skills. They get them served safe certified, which is amazing. So these kids are coming right out of high school. They can be served safe certified. And I talked to them about plating and I talked to them about tastes and flavor breakdown and like the different things that an eater might go through, taking it from that perspective, kind of providing the other side. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I got to participate in their steel chef competition where they had the kids kind of compete, kind of an iron chef uh, opportunity. I unfortunately wasn't able to make it to the finals, but the semifinals were amazing. They did just these really cool dishes, really unique different takes on, on dishes that really fascinating, great stuff. Little bruschetta. They had like a grilled chicken, just, wonderful and it was just so wonderful to see these kids coming up in a underrepresented area kids who might not have opportunities regularly to be provided these opportunities by the for by focus on renewal and to be a part of that to be able to provide my professional perspective was just an awesome opportunity i really hope to do it again next year uh yeah so hopefully we'll we'll do it again that's awesome. And in our conversation from uh, eight months ago, before we time traveled, uh, we talked extensively about the fact that if you are passionate about something and you are willing to put it out into the universe, whether it's just by telling people about it or by posting about it, um, or let's say creating your entire an entire TV show about it, uh, you yeah. know that's always that's always a good way to go. And these types of opportunities can only come when you're willing to put yourself out there and being willing to to hear that uh, people need your skills elsewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing for me is that not only because this is feel like an extension of the opportunity I was given with Very Local and with Plate of Pittsburgh. This is now my opportunity to give back to the community, the community that I have come from and been raised from that I can now help 
in, influence and enhance other people's lives just by giving my perspective, just by saying, here's the perspective of someone host of a, you know, a TV game show, food game show, local food writer, local professional that you might not normally get in your life that I can now provide just further insight. And I can now have their insight brought into my life to make it richer as well. Uh, it's just really an opportunity that I am forever thankful for. And I cannot wait to do it again next year. Cause I feel like those kind of community interactions and working with kids and working with people up and coming still unsure about their way in the world. I'm still unsure. I mean, about everything, but like being able to have those conversations so early on can really provide insight and provide like, here's opportunity that you might not know that was out there. Now you can take it. It's so awesome. Uh, and you've, you've been a busy bee as well. You went to, uh, you know, we always think about, you uh, you know, zombies, when we think about Pittsburgh, we think about the Steelers, uh, we think about Mr. Rogers. Uh, but the one thing most people don't think about, unless you're downtown at a certain time of year, is Pickles. Uh, you went yeah. to Picklesburg and you were doing some filming there. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So Picklesburg voted by USA Today as the number one specialty food festival in the country. And I love it. It is just, I'd say, probably about a mile or so. We shut down downtown shut down some streets and then vendors set up people bring in merch and then make food all focused around pickling so you'll have everything from your dills to your half sours to kimchi to uh like pierogies with dill and potato and just a really fascinating bro there was a cucumber margarita that one chef did and then they had they did a pickled watermelon rind in that and it's just it's everything from sweet to savory all focused around pickles because and all the heart of it is, is the Heinz 57, the Heinz pickle, where it all started in Pittsburgh. And so we were kind of keeping that tradition going, focusing on the pickling, I'd say the Eastern European, German roots of food, of pickling. You got to survive through the winter. What do you do? You take your vegetables, you preserve them. So preservation, Pittsburgh's very big on that preservation focus. And Picklesburg has just blown up. And now we have pickle ice cream and pickle bread and hot sauce pick pickles and just everything it's crazy it's awesome and it's because heinz is is housed there right so you mm -hmm. guys you've got your ketchup too and your relish i remember i went uh a number of years ago before we knew each other and had these amazing pickle egg rolls oh that sounds which, wonderful yeah it was a really nice surprise uh just i we didn't even know it was happening that day it was like we need something to eat and my friends like go for a walk with me and we're walking across a bridge and i've never seen so many vendors specialized in pickle related items in my life that's amazing. Yeah, that's that was Picklesburg. That was probably the Warren that you ate. And they have a Cuban pickle egg roll. A it's like a, like it's got ham in it. And you know, and now that I say that, no, you probably didn't eat that. But this this one's got ham and cheese and a nice uh dill pickle in there, like a good Cuban sandwich, all in an egg roll. And that is fantastic. Yeah, I'm not very carnivorous, but I support no, anybody no. who is. So that's, uh, you know, that's awesome. I just love knowing what the options are. I just think it's so cool to see the Absolutely. way in which every every restaurant in uh, in Pittsburgh is like, all right, what are we doing with pickles? Mm -hmm. it's we have neat. some restaurants that are still offering things from Picklesburg. I went to a restaurant just the other week, and they're still offering their pickle pizza down at the Voodoo Brewery downtown. Uh, they're offering a pickle pizza that they had premiered at Picklesburg and they're still featuring on their menu because it was that well-received. That's awesome. Uh, you and for anybody who's interested in that, uh, if you look up Dave Foreman Picklesburg, there's a really nice little news piece about it um, where Dave also interviews uh, a chef from a, a little company called Bebe, which is something that we quite like. Absolutely. Bebe's Kitchen, downtown Pittsburgh, offering the best, I would say the best Korean food in downtown no question uh their kimchi is just outstanding they have so many different types of kimchi one thing i didn't realize talking to him talking about pickles i thought kimchi was just the cabbage and he corrected me kimchi refers to all vegetables that have been pickled kind of in this manner and the spicy gochujang with the vinegar different versions but that kimchi refers to like a pickled radish or a pickled cucumber or pickled uh, daikon or pickled cabbage as you know most people are familiar with and they do so many different types of kimchi and, and it's my favorite that i've ever had yeah. 
We are not paid for that sponsorship. I want to no, be clear. No, not at all. But Baby's Kitchen, if you're in Pittsburgh, yeah, check it out. And it's within walking distance of the convention center. So if you're ever mm-hmm. down there, it's a it's a place to go. Uh, well, Dave, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, it's just always such a joy to sort of get your perspective. I have a feeling we're going to have a couple other Pittsburgh themed uh, show ideas that are going to happen in the food that are not food related. Well, one of them yeah. could arguably consider food related, but uh, we're going to we're going to tackle those in the years to come, which would be great. I love it. For anybody who's interested in in following you, seeing your endeavors, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So my main website, uh, davidthegastronome.com, uh, G-A-S-T-R-O-N-O-M-E, gastronome. Uh, it is a pun uh, based on, obviously, uh, someone who's gastronomic and a gnome. So David the Gnome, uh, taking all there. So you can look up David the Gastronome, and that is me. I don't think anyone else has that. So my Instagram is out there, my Facebook page, my website, and... I think that's everything. Yeah. That's awesome. It's full of it's exciting. Uh, yeah. And also check out uh Played at Pittsburgh, available only on very local, a free streaming app. There's two seasons out there. I, the more views we get, the more opportunities and the more likely there will be a season three. So you can check out if you're in Baltimore, there's Played at Baltimore is out there, Played at Sacramento is out there, and Played at Pittsburgh. Two seasons of it, uh starring yours, yours truly. Uh, head head judge and head host. I, I love it so much to be able to feature that many local restaurateurs in Pittsburgh in one place. It's just, as I said before, a dream come true. And to be able to show it to a national, international audience, it's amazing. It's so cool. And I think it's just important to recognize, too, that uh, with Played at Pittsburgh, that is the... That's the pilot season. Um, it's yeah. the, you know, the, the they came up with all the systems for this. So Baltimore and Sacramento... Please go out and watch all of them, uh, especially if you're local and especially if you're interested in traveling and just sort of getting another perspective on the world. But uh, while you're looking through it, look it through the lens where uh, you're just considering the fact that uh, Dave Foreman's feedback has helped (laughs) set up the structure of these other these other markets, which I think is pretty awesome. It's a gift. It's a beautiful gift, truly. Rocket Fuel, they're the studio that put it on. They have just been amazing to work with and their professionalism and they're hilarious and just nice folks. Uh, All the folks I've worked with over there have just been amazing. So really big props to them for creating such an incredible show. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. Well, that's awesome. Well, to uh, my meditators out there, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back on September 13th. Uh, The next podcast episode will drop with Jamie Santos. Uh, She's a Syracuse-based tattoo artist, but travels all over the country and all over the world to do different uh, specialized tattoo events. She's an entrepreneur and a community art organizer, and we're going to have a really awesome conversation just about her journey as an artist and about the way in which um, we can best impact communities and and, uh, enhance communities through public art. So September 13th, tune in. Uh, Dave, do you have anything else you want to say? Say, make space for conversation. You just might learn something. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Please share. Please like. Please go check out Dave Foreman and have a wonderful, wonderful day.